You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of The Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to The Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here in downtown Batuta. Queensland election looms. It's probably coming in about a a week or two before the American election. Uh, Mm. And, of course, in this part of the world, this is the election everyone's talking about. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and, of course, Errol Parker, editor-at-large. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. Good to be indoors on a day like this. Oh, mate, it's just so it's so chilly out Stinking hot day down here in the Simpson Desert. <laughs> and uh, today's guest... Is our local member. For, uh, was our, our local s- member... State it, member. Our local our, state member. Was our, you've got half the town. So you've got... The, the line runs through uh, yeah. Daru Street. Uh, we've got Lachlan Miller on one side. And we've got Robbie Catter, the fourth... The member for Mount Isa, formerly Mount Isa. You know, it's obviously our local member for half the town. So thank you for joining us today, Robbie. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. I'm, um, I'm glad I'm not down there stuck in the hustle and bustle of the traffic, Batuta. Yeah. Got here in sleepy Mount Isa. Charles Towers, I should say. <laughs> Charlie's trousers. <laughs> Charlie's trousers. Now, um, first things first, mate, how's Daisy and the bub? You've um, you've welcomed a, a little one into the world just prior to uh, the pandemic. Yeah, well, we're still together. Everyone yeah. still asks how I did it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone yeah. stands for itself. No, going well, mate. Love Mount Isa. She's very happy. And, uh, yeah. and second of all, mate, how did Bob enjoy his two weeks quarantine after coming home from Canberra, <laughs> the hotspot yeah. of Canberra? Yeah, City, we we had to buy a lot of your uh, koala mattresses and put them all around the walls of the house because we were bouncing off the walls. Actually, yeah, everyone was just, um, yeah, in the family just couldn't believe we were locking him in the house for two weeks by himself. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, I, I think we found him in fetal position sucking his son when we opened the did, Yeah, that door. sounds like Bob. How many phone calls did you get a day, you reckon? <laughs> How many did I block or did I get? <laughs> Now, you are a, uh, what would you say, arguably fourth-generation politician. Yeah, it's pretty sad indictment With, on the family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess they call them the downers of the Northwest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, the, uh, the beds, the beds of the Gulf. Um, Robbie, the funny thing about the Catters uh, is that you, you all at some point had a real job. Unlike a lot of those dynasties we see in the um, in the LNP or in the in the Labor Party, what what were you up to prior to um, following your old man into politics? Tell, give us a little bit of a rundown of the things. Very exciting. Your old man likes to say that you were basically uh, the first incarnation of Jonathan Thurston for the North Queensland Cowboys. <laughs> um, I know you did play a bit of bit of rugby league football, but the, you had a bit more to do career wise before entering politics, like your old man. Yeah, I think uh, Dad must have enjoyed trying to live his life through me in rugby league because he just has this image that I was a lot better than I was. I'm surprised they haven't got me beaten up a lot more often. And, um, I yeah, I was pretty easy, easy going, and I did the same. My, I think my mum and dad suggested, "Why don't you become a property value?" And I'm trying to sell a cattle station. Then um, when I was in grade 11 or 12, and I said, well, that sounds right, and I did that for 15 years. Oh, I worked in the mines for a couple of years, actually. Yep. I played yep. rugby and worked at the mines here, but then just became a property value. And then you meet heaps of people when you're probably value, and then I bought 
I bought a business at Mount Isa. I was worked for all these um, big companies and worked, bought a little business in Mount Isa. Someone said to me, you know, it's better to lead your own pony than someone else's thoroughbred. And yeah, that's true. <laughs> go out and buy my own little business, and I did that for seven or eight years, I think. And it was. It was a good little cash cow, the business in Mount Isa. So basically, as a property value, you're on the campaign trail years before you even put your hat in the ring. Precisely. It was like... <laughs> And I, like, I swear, I just had, I, like, the last thing I want to do is politics because, you know, they are bloody hard. Life of conflict and, and um, pretty easy going. When I look back and you were going through five or ten houses a day meeting people and um, and thankfully for me it was through the rising property market so it was usually giving people good news that the value of the house had gone up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five or ten years later, and I would have uh, would have destroyed my political career. <laughs> now, where would you? Yeah. You're now the president of the Catter Party. Um, as your uh, as your old man, um, in his like performative nature, he he, he would have made a great thespian. He could have made a great performer, your old man. But he obviously <laughs> held a press conference where he decided to literally hand you a pair of reins. Yeah. Uh, and you are now in control. Uh, where, what would you say? Particularly, this is a big question that I think a lot of people would like answered. Heading into an election uh, where the LNP kind of look like they're having a lot of their own troubles, they're obviously probably not going to be able to secure a lot of the vote that they would usually have locked in because of this COVID-19 pandemic. That's all speculation from where we're, we're looking at things. But obviously, uh, you provide an alternative, uh, the KAP, outside of the two major parties and always have done. Where would you yeah. say the KAP in 2020 sits on the political spectrum? And uh, is that even a spectrum that would apply to your party? Yeah, that's a bloody good question, and probably the best response you you just gave is I think you know everyone goes left and right, and they're, they're such antiquated terms, and they're they're really I think they're they're pretty silly terms to use in modern politics because it's that malleable like people's positions on things. So on some of the economic issues, you know, we're called agrarian socialists, so it's uh, left left on that. Like you know, they want family farms, not big corporate farms and institutional stuff, and we want to. You know, we like believe in small private enterprise, which then make, makes you sort of anti-capitalist because you then suddenly you're against big business coming in and taking over things. And then, um, you know, on the environmental issues and cultural issues, we're super, you know, right of Stalin. So it's like, um, you know, or we're seen to be at least. So um, uh, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit difficult to sort of um, explain it. But I, I guess where we sit, but I, I think if you just go back to the old country party values, which is, takes in a bit of old Labor yep. and old National Party, um, that, that's probably the best way to describe it, I think. Now, Robbie, how did uh, how did Charters Towers handle their sole case of the coronavirus up there? Because, <laughs> as we all know, the uh, the the policy born out of, you know, the, the importance of the southeast corner in our state, how has this policy to lock down the state impacted you know your area up there oh, i was really disappointed because i i was all charged up man i was ready to throw flaming to- toilet rolls down the street and start <laughs> you know embracing the chaos but yeah it was um you know most people were trying to draw us in on that debate you know open the borders and you know you go to the pub at, up at forsyth or burktown and they're saying like what coronavirus or, or, or you know keep yeah. the bastards out yeah. as far as we're concerned keep the bloody victorians and yourself well from now <laughs> we're enjoying yeah. a bit of uh, the time to ourselves so yeah it was a funny place for us and we we felt pretty special as you'd understand in Batuta, like you, you felt so it was the one time you felt we had such a big advantage over yeah. the city yeah. 
and, and privilege. Yeah. What, what, what is the feeling in, in your division, your electorate? What, what is the feeling? Because, you know, if you read the newspapers, the Courier-Mail um, coming out of, you know, the right-wing heartland of Murray in Brisbane, they're saying that uh, everyone in Australia, the bush, everyone's feeling let down by the Premier with the border closures. You know, you've got, obviously, Diane Frecklington saying not much. Yeah. Diane Freckleham, as we called her. Deb Frecklington. Not many people even know her name. She's not saying much. But then, obviously, Morrison's applying the pressure on the Premier. What is the feeling? People people just think this is a, a hollow debate. No one even cares. In fact, do you reckon the Premier might have the support of your constituents on this issue? Oh, she's, she's definitely, uh, you know, tested those thresholds with uh, of support over the last um, few years. Yeah. <laughs> Like I mean, on this issue, on this issue. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a bit of ground to make up, but yeah, on this issue, look, um, yeah, it's probably just ambivalence, most of it. Yeah. it and, you know, we, we get to sit in our high horse a lot of the time in the country areas and, and laugh at the silly city folk going crazy because mm. I, I think there's a fair bit of empathy for the like the impact on the economy and that sort of thing. But it's, like I said, it's one, one time that we felt pretty sheltered and... And from the start, we've been saying this is absolute lunacy, like shut us off. You know, I don't know about the border, the New South Wales border, but shut off like Western Queensland or North Queensland, decent zones and let us operate as per normal. Yeah, yeah. We had Western Queensland had zero cases the whole time. And, and you, you go to the pub at Birdsville or that was probably down at the Baduri Roadhouse saying you couldn't sell beer up that end of the counter, mm. but you sell fuel and <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. So it just seemed ridiculous to us and you, and we were saying, can you please, as usual, just make a little bit different rules for the country areas which they never seem to understand? And that, that was probably the biggest frustrating part or has been the frustrating part of it. Yeah, so, Robbie, I, I don't often like to ask these questions. It's it's a hypothetical one. Should the Catter Party win 44 seats on the 31st of October? What does your roadmap look like for uh, Queensland moving out of this... Uh, Corona time that we've been in. Oh, uh, you know, if it's, if it's in the ground, dig it up, grow it. We, you know, we're very. You can't live in North Queensland and especially Northwest Queensland where you're just immersed in all this potential and resources. So, and it's all, you know, it's all quite, not far off its virgin state. But there's so yeah. much to harvest. So mandating biofuels, mandating ethanol in, in cars so that there's a secondary market for grain farmers and sugar farmers and stimulating the economy while creating clean air and and, and in, the, in the long run creating downward pressure on fuel against the multinational oil companies. I think that's pretty good policy. That's something we push. Coal mining, you know, it's going to, mining and agriculture is going to be our salvation for, the, you know, the Queensland economy for the next five or ten years at least, um, if not beyond that. So I think We've got a pretty good role to play if people want us to um, after the election to try and re-engage some of those industries because I can absolutely sure they, they're they struggling. Yeah, we'll just try and be that pro-development party that everyone sort of tries to say you're being parochial or you just don't like the city. And so it's got nothing to do with it. It's it's that you don't understand we can actually be a big provider for the state. And, and that you know, when you talk about separate state and stuff, you say it's not... It's not it's not so much that we want to break away from you, it's just that we can, can we can contribute a lot better if there's more autonomy when you're in rural areas and you're making decisions that are more relevant and it just takes a lot of the nonsense out of the decision-making. And 
I think it's a pretty mature discussion to have, but everyone thinks just everyone's straight out just pigeonholes as oh, it's just country hating the city, or um, and it's not like that. It's it's you're trying to develop and and you're frustrated by surrounding yourself in these all this potential and just seeing it cut off at the knees and thinking I wish there was a better way to try and connect with people to get some benefit out of this. The Cata Australia Party have always been very good at avoiding populism. I mean, I notice. You know, while the conspiracists and the tinfoil hat types, you know, Craig Kelly and The Bachelor up there in uh, Mackay were all uh, kind of anti, anti-lockdown, anti-mask even, some of these people. One Nation certainly had a few of that rhetoric going around, you know. People were, you were respecting the science of this pandemic, which is different, which is, which is interesting because, as you said, you get tarred with the brush of being, you know, these these uh, lunatics out bush who just uh, want to be contrarians to everything that's coming out of the city. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You've, bloody hell, like, the best rule of thumb usually if you don't, you know, like, you've, unless you've got a good reason not to believe or understand it. Um, yeah. I mean, when you say science, bloody hell, there's just, there's so much, it's not so much the science itself, it's the politicians that you, and how they interpret or manipulate the science around things that mm-hmm. makes me entirely cynical. Mm-hmm. And I get shivers down my spine. Someone says, oh, I've got to believe in the science. Well, if that comes to the mouth of a politician, that's when I start worrying. But, uh, yeah, with this, I, like, you know, you've got enough friends and you, you ground check a lot of being, what's been told and you know enough to get the sensible uh, ground. Yeah, you know, we do try and get things right out here. We're not just, as you say, we're not trying to be contrarians all the time. Mm. Uh, Anastasia, on the issue of the lockdown, the borders and the everything she's done, uh, you know, and held strong on to keep the borders closed and to keep coronavirus out of Queensland. She's probably won the support of a lot of Queensland, you know, regardless of their political alignment on that issue. Where would you say she's let down your constituents? Oh, boy, oh boy. In the, well, in, the last, in the last term. You know, try and build anything bigger than a cubby house mm-hmm. in Queensland and you'll have, you know, four departments trying to stop you. Yep. And, you know, Dad got $250 million for dams and... It's funny, actually, because bureaucrats will always say, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. We love this project. And they, they love it until you see you've actually got money for it. And when it becomes real, they go, oh, actually, there's a few problems with this dam. We'll have to, oh, you know. And they're absolute world experts at coming up with great creative excuses not to do stuff. And I would say the Premier is, you know, would, would be, a, if not a gold medalist, a podium finisher and not doing stuff and avoiding everything. So... And, and, like, the frustrating thing for me is they recently had a big announcement we'd been working on keeping the copper smelter open in Mount, in Mount Isa. Yeah. And, you know, the bare bones of that really is if, it, if it's shut down in Mount Isa, it opens up in China as a much dirtier smelter yep. where they get all the jobs out of it. So it's all like, do you want a smelter in Australia or not? And, and they sort of think it's a big favour to you that they're helping to keep the smelter open. That's the mindset, I think. And it's like, I'm trying to help you guys here. This is not you helping me. Yep. I don't, like, I'm not asking you for a football stadium in Mount Isa, which would be nice. I'm asking you to help yourself. And it's pretty frustrating when you actually angry when, you know, you're trying to give them stuff that helps their economy and helps them do their job and they can go and build their cross river rail in Brisbane and build another sports stadium. But at least let me help you keep some jobs and industry going. And and, and, she, and like the, I think the hallmark of the premise, she says, I've created 10,000 jobs. No, you haven't. You bought them with my money. Yeah. Like, it's my taxes to create public servant jobs. And, you know, we need public servants are very valuable in a lot of ways, but you don't say you're creating jobs. That's, you know, I've got a front row seat to industry development in the regions and 
I can tell you, like everything is hard and everything's going backwards in those ways. So, yeah, I would give her a very poor scorecard in trying to trying to align with those things that I'd love to achieve in politics. And when it comes to uh, Frecklington, the uh, LNP leader, what would yeah. you say is her greatest kind of flaws in you know in the sense that why should people in your three seats you got now looking yeah. good for four? Why should people in in the KAP electorates vote for KAP instead of LNP? What have you got over them and, uh, and what uh, don't they I offer? Think, yeah, that's easy. They've just got this bipolar sort of character where they, they're trying to pretend to still be the old nationals but go down to Brisbane and be the liberals at the same time. It's all under the qualification, oh, we have these robust internal party discussions. Oh, really? Like... Show me someone across the floor because there was two people across the floor in about 15 years. That's not that robust. And when you have, you know, we put dairy bills in, rural bank bills. There was a reef bill the other day and they all vote um, with Labor on it. You go, that's fine. Like, you know, that's Parliament and politics. But don't come back at Bush and say, oh, we're all for the farmers. Like, be consistent. And so I think it's really difficult for them. It's been a failed marriage with the Liberals and Nationals. And I think whoever's in Deb's job has got a really tough gig because they've got to try and, you know, say they love the reef and we've got to stop farming to damage the reef. And then she's got to go back up to Burdekin and, and Ingham and the likes and say, oh, but we actually, you know, that's all nonsense about the reef. We love farmers. And, and it that's a really tough gig. I think she has trouble doing that. And, and I, you know, I think I wish them well. Go and become the Liberal Party and we'll be the representatives of the country area and, um, you know, do what you do well. But... Um, and battle Labor on that basis. But th- that's the trouble they have is they've got an identity crisis. And if, the sooner they wake up to that, the happier life they'll live. I suppose that one thing that they do have, like an issue committing on, is is energy policy. And, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, where they say that mining's great for jobs in North Queensland, but then they go back down to Brisbane and say that, you know, we, we have to stop the coal mining, we have to stop exporting we've got to close down Hay Point and Gladstone you know but what would a future look like in North Queensland if they forced the country to move into renewables what would North Queensland then you know effectively oh, be forced to do well I, I think if that happened you'd probably it's fair to assume that you'd see a, a diminution in the or a decline in the development of coal reserves and yep. there's enormous coal zones there and that's you know like it or love it i mean it, it, it's great to find alternate um alternatives but it's paying the bills at the moment until you find the things that replace the bills so i i think that's nothing against renewables and um and there's some in fact mount isa in the western areas of queensland and uh, it, mount isa is probably the best place to contribute in that space because um where you you're so far west you know, we're about an hour behind in sunlight. So if you have, um, you know, sunlight generating power, uh, photovoltaic, whatever, they um, that will feed into the grid and hits at the peak hour, you know, the yeah. um, peak tariff on the coast, yeah. on the east coast. And, you know, there's just so much. Like, so another thing with renewables, like I've said the government three or four times, like most of my electorate is not connected to the grid. On those cattle stations, the cockies love the solar pumps yeah. and, and like, why are you feeding the solar in on the grid against your own generators when you, they'll subsidise, they'll pay for a lot more of the portion of the cost of solar out in the cattle stations to 
I love the bloody solar stuff out in them, and, and they don't have any pet mains power. They're burning diesel generators or petrol yeah. generators. Yeah. So there's a lot of good stuff you can do, um, but you've got to get people to listen. And, and they sort of listen to extent, but they never follow through. Like I got them to do a study on that solar stuff on rural, but it ended up being on cane farms on the coast, and they missed the point. And, you know, there's a happy medium, I think, with it. Ethanol's a great one because people say, what's your environment? Yeah. The ethanol, well, tell me something else that reduces... Ten percent E10 in your tank reduces your emissions by thirty percent. So if we mandate E10, make every car do it, which is a lot less impost than when we change from unleaded fuel to leaded fuel to unleaded fuel thirty years ago. It's a lot less impost than that. Then um, <laughs> leaded fuel had prams on the side right. of the road and leaded fuel burning down this main street of Mount Isa. <laughs> no, the bloody E10 had burnt out every valve in my old uh, Land Cruiser Prado, I'll tell you that much. It's on, it's on the good stuff still, that. Yeah, yeah that, that's, a anyway, that, that's a good policy because it it's equivalent to taking 30% of cars off the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good thing. Right now, it feels like coals on the nose at a mainstream level, even as you said before with the LNP identity crisis, Labor's having the same identity crisis. They've got CFMEU trucks in the middle of Claremont with signs saying start a Darnie on it, which I don't think was really good for Bill Shorten's brand leading into an election. You've got, uh, you know, you've got two parties uh, torn down the middle with that. Let's yeah. say they all go the same way and decide that coal is on the nose. What do you do for, you know, a lot of people in your electorate too, they got used to uh, making a lot of good coin in the berm. What do, you, what do you do there? Because, you know, as much as Bob Brown comes up with his convoy and says, oh, you blokes can make the same amount of money with a windscreen wiper on a solar panel, it's not just going, that's just not going to be the case. What would be the alternative in terms of uh, jobs in the, um, in, in the coal mining I, regions? Exactly. I, I just, I don't have a good answer for that. And that's when people, you know, bang on me about cars. I, I don't really have a good answer, but I'm not willing to give up my Toyota in my house at the moment. Yeah. So... Um, yeah. I enjoy having those, and until you're willing to give up some of your stuff, I don't. I think we've got a bit of a problem. So, but you know, let's work. There's other things we can do, and um, you know, it's not all about coal. Like we, where I live in the Northwest Mineral Problem, we're trying to build this a power line, a big stuff off um, power line. Mm -hmm. Trying language for the kids, PG. <laughs> but you know, and if you high voltage on, we pay the highest electricity prices in the industrial world yep. in Mount Isa. Not many people know that. So, um, you know, if you're on the grid in Australia, you pay 60, 70 bucks a megawatt hour. Mount Isa, you pay 200 bucks a megawatt hour. We build this transmission line, you, you can halve that. And if you halve electricity prices for mines in a mineral province with $580 billion worth of minerals still on the ground, you know, you can, that's not too bad. Yeah. And there's no, there's no replacement on the horizon for copper, zinc. Um, uh, there is there is for lead, at, uh, but lead's still got demand out there. So, look, yeah, there's... There's still plenty can be done outside of just coal. Who can you give us a little rundown on some of the candidates you got running? I mean, obviously you've got yourself, Knuth, yeah, uh, Danieletto, Minister for Muscles, Minister for Muscles, <laughs> the Minister for Jet Skis, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shirtless jet ski photo shoots. Uh, yeah. what, 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 where else you got? You got you got someone running in the tip. Can, can I stay and nick the minute a second? <laughs> he, he is the biggest. Characterization of a wog I've ever met. <laughs> and his his wife's nice, you know, Toyota Parole or whatever it is next to his Hilux Ute are out on the street because inside his garage 
is his um, speedboat with a 400 horsepower motor and his great car. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. uh, they're drinking <laughs> limoncello with the with the forex gold. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Nick, you just couldn't be any more stereotype. That is his great car. That's his speedboat. I mean, yeah, the, look, we, we mate, the, the, cat, the cat has looked like that a few generations ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now we could, yeah. Look, I'm um, down in uh, your country. There, we've got um, fellow Rick Gannett, who's um, he's probably more KP than KP. He's just yep. pure farmer. Um, then we've got um, up north in Cook, we've got a young girl called Tanika Parker who grew up at Hope Vale and yep. uh, she played to Matty Bowen, which is sort of akin to royalty yep. up there. <laughs> and um, and she's a, a nurse, a registered nurse that's gone back home there. You know, we've got a um, heap of candidates in Townsville, basically in the footprint of North Queensland. Yep. Uh, Sam Cox is running for us in the Burkins, a red hot chance. Yep. Yeah, and goes through heaps of names there. We've got some. Yeah, really strong field, but we only feel like 10 to 15 yep. so that you can focus on actually winning seats. Not like uh, One Nation, you don't pull up outside the boxing tent and give everyone a number. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah well, it's ambitious, you know. Yeah. Well, Robbie, as we saw down south in the uh, New South Wales state election uh, not too long ago, we saw a massive rejection of the way that, that you know, that r- rural voters kind of held the national party in that, that that you saw them lose some of the safest kind of seats that you could have in the country to the shooters, farmers and fishers. Yeah. Is the sentiment, in your opinion, in Queensland kind of the same? Oh, it, d- it definitely is. And that could be, I could be setting myself up for big failure because something very real so if we don't if we're not successful you'd say well we're pretty bloody hopeless because yeah. the, the vacuum is very real the the challenge is to to insert yourself into people's consciousness where people have mainly switched off from politics yeah. so and try and do that without a million dollar campaign budget yeah. uh, it's pretty tricky <laughs> so get people interested in politics insert a new brand name where they've you know they've had 50 or 100 years getting used to the old one and um, try and present yourself as an alternative and make sure you're credible. And that's been a challenge for us, us and, and others. And like I said earlier, I think, you know, I don't I don't begrudge the LNP or Labor having a spot in Parliament, but just work, you know, stick to who you want to represent. Don't try and be everything to everyone. And, you know, there's a good place for everyone in there. And But they, they just, it's ridiculous to think that they still represent the farmers it's just nonsense i've got a long catalog of sort of crucial rural bills we put through parliament that they've happily voted against so you might this might actually be a record too actually up there in the in the cook electorate and probably be the first time two indigenous women have run against each other yeah probably is. In, in 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 north queensland you, now you've got the kap who obviously uh, represent people don't realize this as well like a, a a diverse community across all your seats i mean as we just said i was having trouble uh, pronouncing some of the last names of your sitting members, and you've got you know a lot of different industries. You got from fruit. I've seen your old man put on the uh, <laughs> put on the Sikh turban on what, what, whatever community event that was at, and and you've got you've got a whole lot going on there. The catters, I guess uh, you could say, have followed, as you said. You know the the voters have spent a hundred years getting used to the the most recent party they've been voting for and you're trying to insert yourself in there i guess there has been an incarnation of your last name in in every party in the bush was there was there ever any labor 
in the Cata family? Yeah, back, um, I believe, as the DLP. So the, the family, yeah, I think it was in the 40s and 50s, uh, originally the Labor Party. And from what I gather, yeah, like, it's probably a too strong a word, but I think family was sort of social outcasts a bit, mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, they were big, they had a big business in Cloncurry, but they were dark-skinned Lebanese. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for whatever reason, yeah, I'm not sure what the motivation were, but they were in the members of the Labor Party then, and then there was the split, and I, which I think was around the 60s, and they went to the DLP, which sort of morphed then into the country party, that, which then morphed into the national party. And, uh, yeah, and here we are today. Yeah. Do you have much to do with the uh, shooters and fishers? I mean, obviously, there is that, you know, the third force in rural Australia. It, it's a bit of a trend. I mean, South Australia have got their own thing going on there. You know, their centre alliances and their xenophons. And then uh, down in Victoria, the Nats are obviously um, in quite a lot of turmoil. Do, do you keep in touch with these kind of uh, interstate yeah. kind of uh, third options? Yeah, we're very interested in uh, reaching out and trying to find um, points of similarity. Because, and that would be, you know, great benefit to both, you know, all of us, I think. If um, But but then you don't want to, you know, it's not sort of reaching out and trying to morph into something different for the sake of it. Yeah. So we're, not, we're not desperate to expand. We just, we have an interest in pushing, you know, an agenda and a, a suite of policies. And if people want that, you know, whatever, we could change the name, morph into something else. Yeah. It's, it's not about propagating a name or a brand it's about pushing a suite of policies so whatever's the best vehicle to do that and kp is for us at the moment and you know if something better comes along later then we use that the big issue that's come up throughout leading into this election is youth crime particularly in rural areas yeah. um KAP have always been on the front foot with this. Unlike the National Party, I guess, who like to pretend that ice doesn't exist in the bush or like to pretend that there is no problem, you know. In fact, a lot of people would say that the National Party don't really even look at the towns. They don't even uh, kind of serve the towns in, in, in many kind of electorates. The KAP, you and, you, you and your old man have, have spoken about this a lot, and particularly up there in, in, in the FNQ, there is there is this issue of, of youth crime, and um, yeah. this isn't just a stereotype. This isn't like a, you know, this isn't like Melbourne when when you're leading into election when all of a sudden there's a, a big crime spree. This isn't ne- necessarily a uh, campaign kind of fantasy. This is, you know, pretty clear numbers on a piece of paper. Oh yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's beyond words, really. Like trying to relate to you. The statistics, I remember at one point, and it may still be the case in Mount Isa, it wasn't the average number, the actual number of offences in one category was comparable to Brisbane. Yeah. So an 18,000 population versus a 1 million population, yeah. we had comparable total statistics in one category. So they're just off the dial things. And it's, you know, not to sound too bloody self-righteous or anything, but... You just got to listen to people. Like it's you're mostly talking about indigenous problem. Our first Australian yeah. brothers up there in, the, in Mount Isa, they're having all sorts of problems in their communities: alcoholism, substance abuse. But you just got to ask the right questions. Like it's common sense. Follow why are the kids on the street because it's not safe at home. Mum and dad aren't looking after them. Why are mum and dad having troubles because he hasn't got a job? And they oh okay, why hasn't he got a job? Let's go back to communities. Why haven't we got a job there? We can't get a blue card. Okay, let's look at blue cards. Let's fix the blue cards. Yeah. And you just got to follow these things through and create opportunities for jobs for the parents. And that's a lot, you know, these are long things to turn around. But 
you've just got to ask the right questions and get on the ground and see where the problems are. But, you know, they'll say, oh, you've got to adjust the youth justice system and, and the parole period or something. You think, God, you're missing the point. Like, you're dealing with the symptoms, but what's the real issue here? And, um, you know, another one, like, it's it's so obvious now, but there's, I think, through the 70s or 80s, a lot of first Australians come off the stations, but all, what you know, in the 80s, I think, was more pertinent. 80s, early 90s, it was Kevin Rudd, I think, was one of the head public servants in Queensland under Wayne Goss, and they, they took about 800 railway jobs between Townsville and you had a lot of Islanders, Indigenous work on that railway line. And quite literally, some of those families now are the ones struggling because they just lost their purpose in life and, you know, they had that uniform in the railways. Well, Marbo was in the railways himself, wasn't he? Oh, it probably was, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So you're saying, you know, some families haven't been able to get above the poverty line since then? Yeah, pretty clear to see when you sort of reflect on it now. But and, and, you know, people in Brisbane make these decisions and go, oh, that, you know, and you think, boy, oh, boy, you do not know the con- how severe the consequences are of some of those, you know, rationalising decisions that work, have. And until you try and turn those things around, I think you're wasting your time. I have seen some ideas put forward by your party. Bush School? What, what, what are you calling it? What's this oh, program? Oh, well, you know, the policy is called relocation sentencing, but it's, uh, and it's sort of going back to their old law, L-O-R-E, where, but in the context of the First Australians. But the, um, you know, it's basically saying white or black, if your kids are playing up, one of the biggest gaps that they have in services is given the ability, whether it's youth justice or the, the coppers or magistrate, to say, mate, just get the hell out of town. Like, we're sending you at a facility and that can... You know, you can gratify a lot of the angry locals that just got their car stolen by saying, mate, we got him out of town. But also those people that believe in reforming these kids, like, you know, let's not just throw them to the walls, let's try and bring them, turn them around. If you've got a remote facility, you can start to, it's a lot easier to bloody lay a slab or build a fence or, yeah. um, you know, do a take and fishing for one day if they're behaving themselves all week or, you know, you can do stuff out bush. And, and I've seen with my own two eyes, you know, really bad kids going out to Yirrindanji or Dajara or something, and they just transform because when they're taken out of that environment, they're fine, but you've got to get them well away, not 20 k's out of town or 50 k's out of town. You've got to take them 400 kilometres away. You don't need fences or anything out there because good luck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's not, um, yeah, well, it's not, it's, it's not a prison. No, that's right. Mm. And so that, that's, that's the big gap that's missing, and that's the big policy that landmarks of the policy, we want to deal with youth crime and people are begging for it and I, I'm yet to find anyone that disagrees with me on it, which is pretty big because the last three or four years of politicians, usually you, you draw out a few haters or, you know, people that disagree, but yeah, but it's just a matter of getting the government to decide that it's actually their idea and rebadge it. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just before we go, Robbie, what are the key promises that the KAP has taken to this election? Well, some of the, yeah, the big ones is building dams and water storage yep. um, and ethanol mandate. We'll now work very strongly on that in power and, and enhance our mining in the state. So um, we see one of the big ones is the, the government want to build, uh, it's about 12 kilometres of rail line, which has gone up for $12 billion in Brisbane to get yep. people to work 10 minutes earlier. What's the today <laughs> show? 10 minutes longer. Yeah. And you can build 300 kilometres of rail line into the Galilee Basin that makes the taxpayer money for the next 20 or 30 years. So they're the sort of things we can deliver if we get in. I guess trying to turn things around in rural industry, mainly thing is rural bank. There's a, there's a huge appetite. 
you go and try buy house in Batuta at the moment, the banks just whack a bloody postcode discrimination on you, and you won't yeah. get the loan. It's a disgrace. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're trying to get some young people to move out there or buy the tyre shop in Richmond. Yeah. They can't even get the finance once you do. You break the ankles of someone and finally get them to stay there and um, and they can't even get the finance. So, we, you know, we want to see a rural bank. I put legislation in the State Parliament for Liberal and Labor both voted against it. But we'll try and get something up like that because I think that will be perhaps not the salvation, but maybe a, a good policy upturn things yeah. around in a bit too. Let's just say you hold the balance of power in uh, a month's time. Uh, Is that going to be something you're going to have to sit on? I wonder if they actually give you something like a a staff or something. (laughs) That would be cool. A gavel. (laughs) (laughs) Or you get to hold the mace in parliament. One day, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I have a cousin that would really enjoy that. Um, if I did, sorry, what was the question? If, if I you did have the balance of power, would you have to sit on it? Yeah, you you just you'd want to know whoever you were um, empowering there were pretty closely aligned with your agenda. And, yeah, and I reckon that's good news for them because I'm not there asking for streets paved with gold. I'm asking for things that make them money. So yeah, you know, they shouldn't see it as such a burden. But who knows? They, they think funny sometimes, those politicians. And lastly, who's your pick for the uh, NRL 2020 <laughs> Premiership? Well, until last week, Roosters, who I and I hated saying it. <laughs> Bloody hell. I mean, we can, I know we can cross, finally we can cross off the Cowboys. I still had some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a little engine that could this year. <laughs> until it <laughs> <Or> couldn't. couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I, don't, I just can't see. I think it's because I just don't like Penrith for some reason. But um, I, I really didn't want Roosters, and I, I took on a bet uh, with friends at the start. Of the year, I took Melbourne, so I'm just going to say Melbourne because I'm at financial interest. Yeah. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yeah, heard it here first. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it basically has been a Queensland team for a while. So um, they've been based on the sunny coast. So I guess that's. Um, if you want, to, if you want to talk, or oh, Redcliffe, you know, if only they had a team there that was ready to go. To be Vl- Vlanders might, Vl- Vlanders might bump up the Dolphins. That could be a real guy there. He he certainly doesn't mind making decisions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could use a bit about bit of that in politics. Anyway, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> thanks for joining us today, Robbie. All the best. All the best with um, the red whitewash, the the KAP landslide in this uh, incoming Queensland election. I reckon you're going to paint it red. Yeah, thank you. I, I did need to congratulate you too. I listened to one of your podcasts with Billy Birmingham last Christmas. I was driving yeah. down to the family, and and it was absolute. It, yeah, as I said before, if it wasn't a gold medal, it was a podium finisher for podcasts. Oh, thanks, yeah. mate. Thank yeah. you. Actually, we interviewed um, Joy McKean last week. Slim's. Uh, Slim's. I have uh, to listen to that one. Slim's, yeah. yeah, Slim's wife. Um, yeah, she. Uh, she. Uh, we actually were talking about the catters before before we went mm. to air. She said she um, has had many very long conversations with your dad um, when she, <laughs> she pulls into town because he reckons he knows who killed the Jolly Swag Man. <laughs> All those years ago. Oh, yeah. can, I, can I tell you one That's story? That's a great story. Yeah, my, one, of, one of the best mates, he's he, he just always bagged Slim Dustin. I just, you know, like that's just sacrilege out in the bush. Yeah. and. He told me one day a story of his dad who's in his 70s, got gypped for like 
tuppence or whatever it was, four pound, four bob or something at the show somewhere because he had to hold a cigarette in his mouth and Slim missed it, so he didn't pay him the money. So, the, uh, yeah, the animosity has gone generational now. Oh, right, yeah. Just rubbishing, rubbishing <laughs> Slim. Like, you're the only person in Western Australia, like Western <laughs> Queensland or rural Australia that doesn't wish it Slim. Yeah, it's quite a universal sentiment you're rubbing up against there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, all uh, the best, mate. Good luck. We'll, um, we'll we'll see you. Um, we'll see you when we see you. Keep up the work, please. See you at the next Eyes of Rodeo. Yeah, yeah. Beef week. <laughs>